and get started. So how about this? Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. You been wishing anyone else a Merry Christmas, huh? I always try to remind myself, wish people Merry Christmas. I don't care if they say it back, I'm going to say it to them. Um, I, I went to the auto parts store the other day and just kind of struck up a little conversation with this guy about vehicles and fixing something, had to get a part, and uh, I was turning around to leave and he said, hey, uh, Happy New Year. So I turned around and said, Merry Christmas. He's like, uh, uh, I don't know if it's like an illegal term to say or something if you're an employee places, but I say it. Uh, well, the Christmas season's upon us. Amen? You see, the church is decorated up real nice. We got lights all over the place, and uh, it's a busy time of the year. I, I know it's a busy time. It really is. Um, everyone's out buying Christmas gifts. Folks are planning get-togethers with friends and family, all this good stuff. Many of you may have travel plans to go travel and be with sons, daughters, aunts, uncles, and friends, so on and so forth. Everyone's out spending lots of money. Every time Christmas time rolls around, us dads go, oh, man, again, it's here. Seems like it rolls around every two months. But when I say Christmas season, you know, a lot of times that's what we think of. Presents, gifts, Christmas trees decorated with ornaments, Santa Claus, elves, reindeer, maybe, hopefully, some time off work or some time off of school. That's always nice. Ebenezer Scrooge, the Grinch, you know, these are just Christmas buzzwords. Uh, how about this? Ever Christmas season rolls around, something happens to our women with these Hallmark Christmas movies. Uh, they're usually all exactly the same. I don't mean to be a spoiler to you all this morning. Every one of them is the same. It's a nice-looking man, a nice-looking girl. Somehow they get stranded somewhere because of a crazy snowstorm. And it's Christmas Eve, and somehow, miraculously, they end up underneath of the mistletoe. That's how all those Hallmark Christmas stories pretty much go. Sometimes my wife likes them, and I'll sit and watch one with her. But they're okay. They're harmless. Nothing wrong with it. Not that any of that stuff's evil. The North Pole... Candy canes, sugar plums, I don't know what those are. Anyone know what sugar plums are? I don't have any idea what a sugar plum is, but it's something with, to do with Christmas. Those things aren't bad. They're not. I'm not here to rail against Christmas traditions this morning. Those are harmless Christmas traditions. If you have a 12-foot blow-up snowman in your front yard, more power to you, brother. My house currently looks more like a Christmas museum than it does a home. But that's okay. My wife likes that stuff. I'm all right with it. There's nothing wrong with it. We are all allowed to have our own little family Christmas traditions and the way that we celebrate the Christmas holiday. All well and good. But this morning, there's something about the last month or so. You know, when Christmas season rolls around, God just kind of reminded me of these things. He just kind of placed it on my heart, and it's caused me to look back in the Bible about the origins of the real Christmas. I say the origins of the real Christmas. Um, and I have been excited all week um, just to have the honor of reminding you of these very sacred and holy things. Do you know that the Bible tells us the origins of the Christmas story? And it's a much more beautiful story than Hallmark could ever write. 
or Hollywood could ever write. Now, many of you, being church folks, automatically will think, well, he's going to preach about Mary and Joseph in the nativity scene, Jesus in the manger, no room for them in the inn, the shining star that led the wise men, so on and so forth. Those are the type of things we think about when everyone mentions a, a biblical Christmas story. Uh, remember Linus from the Peanuts gives his speech. We've played that video many times over the years here at New Hope. Remember he brings his little blanket out and he actually he reads from Luke chapter 2. But that's not the origins of the Christmas story. Many times we forget it actually starts in Luke chapter 1. So we're, we're not going to be in Luke chapter 2 today. And you don't hear too many preach on Luke chapter 1. But that's where the very beginning of the Christmas story starts. Luke chapter 1 and maybe a little bit in Matthew chapter 1. They teach us something that many theologians call the miraculous conception. Very holy, very sacred thing. The miraculous conception. And there's very, very important theology behind it. Very, very important significance behind this miraculous conception. It's one of the bedrocks of Christianity. One of the bedrocks, the foundational truths of Christianity. The virgin birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'd like to preach on that this morning, should God allow. So, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now, you know the booth always does their best to keep these scriptures up on the screen. If they get behind or whatever you prefer, you can always open in your Bible to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We'll start there. I love, love, love the scriptures, and I love especially these ones. They're awesome. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 says, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent unto, excuse me, was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, we're already going over some pretty extremely important stuff already. First off, this Gabriel appears to Mary. Well, who's Gabriel? Gabriel's an archangel of some type, a very powerful angelic being. Actually, if you read, I believe it's earlier in this chapter, Gabriel describes himself as he who stands in the presence of the Lord. So however that heavenly scene is, this angel Gabriel, he, he's a, an archangel. He's a leader of the angels. So in the hierarchy of angels, Gabriel's the top dog. So I, I imagine him to be some sort of big, powerful, angelic being of some, of some type. An angel is, is a spiritual being that does the bidding of the Lord. So here's this Gabriel, stands in the presence of the Lord. So he, he must be of some sort of significance. He's not only an angel, he's an archangel. Actually, angels are mentioned in the Bible, but not very many of them are mentioned by name. In this particular case, Gabriel is mentioned by name. He is he who stands in the presence of the Lord. This is a very powerful, very significant angel. So this powerful angel, Gabriel, appears to Mary. Poof, he just appears. But I like to look in verse 27. 
Look at it in twice in verse 27. The, the Bible refers to Mary as a virgin. Let's read verse 27 over again. It says, To a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Do you see how it repeats that in there a couple of times? That's the Bible's author's way of, of placing emphasis on Mary's virginity. She is a virgin. That is exact, very clear. There's no confusion here. Mary is a virgin. Actually, in the Greek, sometimes I get a little Bible nerdy. I like to look things up in the Greek. That would be the original language that the New Testament was written in. The word virgin in Greek is parthenos. Okay? And you might think, why, why do you want to look that word up? Well, because it means exactly what the translation in our Bible says, a virgin. It's exactly what it means. Many times when the translators went from Greek to English to give us the Bible that we have today, many times it's much more difficult than we think and words don't exactly mean in one language that they mean in another language. So in other words, there may be words that the Greek has Word, a particular word for, and we don't have it in English. But what I'm saying is that is not the case here. There's no confusion whatsoever. We have a word for it in Greek. We have an exact matching word for it in English. So there's no confusion whatsoever that we can muddy the waters in this particular uh, situation. Mary was very clearly a virgin. Repeated twice to us. It's very important. What it, what it means is there's no confusion about Mary's status. She did not know a man. She had not known a man. She's engaged to Joseph, but has not yet known a man. Verse 28 says, And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, now listen to these words, Hail, thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Now, let's pause just for a minute here. Us Protestants, this is something that I see. Us Protestants, we tend to move just for whatever reasons, to the, the polar opposite view of our Catholic friends. And because of that, many times we dismiss Mary as though she's not important whatsoever. You know, we, we, we know in, in the, the non-Protestant faith, they kind of deify Mary. So because of that, us Protestants completely dismiss Mary. Nothing could be further from the truth. That Mary was favored by the Lord. Not only favored, the Bible says she's highly favored. Do you know what that means? It means God noticed Mary. There was something special about Mary. God had regard towards Mary. The, the way that Mary conducted herself. She was pious. She was reverent. And it caught God's attention. She was full of humility. Mary was highly favored. Blessed art thou among women. The angel Gabriel, remember this very powerful, he who stands in the presence of God comes and says, God sent me to tell you that you have his favor. Mary's very special. Mary, the Bible actually says of Mary that the Lord is with thee. The Lord was with Mary. Mary is a special person. She is an example to us. She plays a part in this. Mary is an example of a good, godly woman. She's chaste. 
She's virtuous. She's godly. She's faithful. She fears the Lord. She's a servant of the Lord. Now we should not worship Mary. We should not deify Mary. We should not pray for Mary. But Mary is still extremely important. We cannot dismiss her. She is a part, an integral part of the real Christmas story. Now, we don't know what Mary was doing. Maybe she's shopping in the market. Maybe she's at home fixing her place up. Maybe she was decorating. All we do know is that the Spirit of the Lord was with Mary and poof, one day there's Gabriel and he comes and he begins to speak these things over Mary's life. You know, I kind of find this significant. The Greek word for favor most of the time in the New Testament is translated as grace. They kind of mean one of them the same. Favor, grace are kind of interchangeable. This is the first time in the New Testament that we see grace mentioned in the New Testament. Mary had found grace in the eyes of God. First time it's mentioned in the New Testament. I think it's kind of neat that the first time grace is mentioned in the Old Testament, it's talking about Noah. Genesis chapter 6, verse 8 says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The same thing with Mary. Thou art highly favored among women. But Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Isn't it neat how both Noah and Mary, selected by God's good graces to usher in a new beginning to the world, very neat, isn't it? The Bible's full of little things like that. Mary is favored, but not to be worshipped. But she's still extremely important and is a shining example of godly womanhood. Luke chapter 1, verse 31. We'll move on. It says, And behold, pay attention to the wording, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, this is Gabriel speaking again, and bring forth a son, And shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great. And shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Verse 33 says. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Can anyone say amen to that? Hallelujah to that. The the parallel verse, listen for a moment now, the parallel verse to that in Matthew, because these same things are recorded in Matthew, Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Anyone want to say amen to that this morning? She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Has Jesus saved you from your sins? He saved you. He saved me. He saved me. You know, he's the only chance I ever had at making heaven. The only chance. The only remote possibility that I have. The only remote possibility that you have of entering glory is through this story that we're reading this morning. The holy child, Jesus. And he shall save his people from their sins. He saved me, church. He saved me. He saved me. I was chatting with someone before the service began. And we were just chatting and the direction the conversation went. Kind of commenting to each other. You know, you, you never get to a place in your life. You will never in this flesh get to a place in your life where God's going to come and say, You got it all figured out. You, you got it all together. 
You, you finally got it. All this, you can quit playing now. You can even stop going to church because you got it. You arrived. You figured it all out. What I found is actually the, the opposite of that. The longer I walk with the Lord, the more I seek Him, the closer I get to Him, the more His holiness shines upon me in my fallen nature and it points out more and more things that need to go and they need sanctified and they need pruned in me. I don't get better and better. I get more and more sanctified. He points more and more things out that need to go. But at the very least, He shall save His people from His sins. He saved me, church. I hope He saved you this morning. He saved me. Now, I mentioned I like to be a little bit of a Bible nerd sometimes. So I use this website. Anyone ever heard of Blue Letter Bible? A very good website, blueletterbible.org, blb.org, I think it is. And I use that a lot to help me preach if I want to study or learn something a little bit closer. But a lot of times I'll go back and look at the original text and see what it said in its original language. And I always think just a touch is lost in our translation. And sometimes if you want to learn more, you can look back at the original. So I, I look back at this particular vo- verse. And I like to focus on certain words and see what they might have said in the original Greek language. And then even when I, on Blue Letter Bible, you can click on something and it will even help you pronounce the word. It will repeat the word in the, the correct way that it's pronounced. But I like this. It says, and she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus is the correct pronunciation in the Greek the way that it would have been. Uh, there's how it's spelled up at the top. Jesus is his name. Do you know that that name means something? It was Gabriel that told them, name this child Jesus. Name him that. That's his name. And you remember, Gabriel doesn't do things of his own accord. He does the biddings of God the Father. Mary did not name him. Joseph did not come up with that name. Elizabeth didn't come up with that name. Zacharias didn't come up with that name. The Lord God said, name him Isus. Do you know what that that name means something? You ever looked up the name? What does Jesus mean? It has meaning behind it. It means Jehovah is salvation. Isus Christos. Jehovah is salvation, the anointed one. That's what this Christmas story is about. That's what's being placed inside of Mary. Jehovah is salvation being placed inside of her womb. The anointed one's being placed inside of her womb. I hope you can appreciate what's going on in the real original story of Christmas in Luke chapter 1. The Lord is salvation. Messiah. I told you that the, the, the real Christmas story is much better than Christmas trees and tinsel and elves. But, but we, we have to notice what's going on here. Did you forget the fact that we got a problem? She's a virgin. She's a virgin. We know that naturalistically, you can't have a baby and be a virgin. Anyone ever heard of the saying, it takes two to tango? So this Jesus, who is supposed to bring salvation and deliverance to his people, he's going to come into this world in a way that needs some serious explaining. Joseph, Mary's espoused, he thinks the same thing. This is going to need some serious explaining. 
Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother, Mary, was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. So Joseph, he's a decent man. Joseph is a solid individual. He's a God-fearing man. He's a reverent man. He fears the Lord. He's a believer. He, he thinks the same way I would if my espoused came and tried to tell me a story like the one we're reading this morning. My wife and I, if memory serves correctly, I think we were engaged for 10 months. I think we dated for roughly a year and then we were engaged for 10 months. During that 10 months, if Shannon would have came to me and said, sit down, honey. I'm pregnant, and it's not yours. But before you jump to any conclusions, hear me out on this one. I can tell you, brothers and sisters, I would have been struggling real, real, real hard. Real hard. That seems like a tom hmm Oh, really? Hmm? But, but we see Joseph here is a just man. He's a decent man. He's a solid man. I'm sure he was going to marry her. I'm sure he loves her. He was going to make her his bride or his wife. He was not a vindicative man. The Bible describes Joseph as just. He's a just man. He didn't want to completely humiliate her. But here she is pregnant telling him it's of the Holy Ghost. I've not known a man. And he's thinking, mm-hmm, okay, we're going to take care of this. But he doesn't want to make her a big example or humiliate her, so he plans to end it quietly. He's going to nip it in the bud. He's going to keep it on the down low. He's kind of just going to make this whole thing go away quietly. You know, he'll move on, she can move on, do her thing, whatever's going on. But that's what Joseph thinks. Do you understand? This is a very important junction in the, the timeline of humanity. Very important juncture, the timeline of humanity. The, the Bible is telling us something that's not natural. We do not naturally see virgin births going on. We do not. It is not normal. It is not natural. It is beyond the natural. It is the supernatural. It is super nature. And we really need to know what is going on and how this happened. Now, remember, as pastor, I always remind you, pay close attention to the wording that the Bible uses. Very important wording. Okay? So the, the archangel, Gabriel, very powerful, he who stands in the presence of the Lord, he comes to Mary, he's saying all these things, and she responds... Kind of just like we would or, or, or you would. Look at verse 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Look at verse 35. This is very important here in verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, 
the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. How is this virgin birth possible? How can we reconcile it in our minds when we read it, we receive this story? How is this virgin birth possible? It's supernatural. The Bible says the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The Holy Ghost is the method in which this divine miracle is going to occur. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Now, it's very important to get our theology straight here. Matthew chapter 1 tells us, That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So it is of the Holy Ghost in which this miracle occurs. That this child in Mary's womb is placed there by the Holy Ghost. The the embryonic Jesus is placed into Mary's womb, miraculously via the Holy Spirit. Now, we must be clear. It is not the fertilization of Mary's egg by the Holy Spirit. That is not what is going on here. That would mean that the child would be half God, half man. That is not good theology. It would be some sort of demigod. That would mean that the child through Mary would would inherit man's fallen nature, would inherit man's sinful nature, and we'd have a Jesus with a fallen nature because of the human part, element. Jesus did not have a sin nature, brothers and sisters. He was tempted as we are. He was flesh and blood as we are, but he was not born under the curse of sin. Later in his life, he willingly takes the curse of sin upon himself at Calvary, but he was not born with it like you and I are. The power of the highest. Here's where we got to pay attention to the wording. The power of the highest, look at the wording, overshadowed Mary. Uh, this, this, is, this is starting to make sense to me. It casts a shadow over Mary. It outweighs Mary in importance. It exceeds Mary in importance. The, this, this power of the highest. The miracle of the incarnation overshadowed and transcends Mary. It has nothing to do with just her. It's what the miracle of God did in and through her. Mary's just a person. Virtuous, yes. Godly, yes. Reverent, yes. Pious, yes. But this is the work of God in and through Mary. She's overshadowed. In other words, the miraculous conception was the work of God alone through the Holy Spirit. It wasn't part God, part Mary. Mary's womb was the host and she was to carry out the motherly duties to the Lord Jesus. But Mary herself was overshadowed by God, outweighed in importance. God cast a shadow over her because of the miraculous work he was doing. This mystery, it's carried out by the Holy Spirit. Now we know that many of our non-Protestant Christian friends may not agree with that, but they have erroneous theology, brothers and sisters. Her part was exceeded in importance by God. She was outweighed by the miraculous work of God. That holy thing that was in her, was placed directly in her womb by the Holy Spirit so that Jesus could be called the only begotten Son of God. 
Matter of fact, I think this is neat, but verse 35 refers to the, the child. It refers to the embryonic Jesus in the womb as that holy thing. You always got to look at the wording. It says, therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Here's some more Bible nerd stuff. But in the original manuscripts, Greek manuscripts that, that they used many, many years ago to compile this, these writings, the word thing is not in there. Okay, so it, that holy thing, that word thing is not in there. And it, in the Greek, it actually would mean the holy one, or more literally, just the holy. Okay? But to make it understandable to us in English, it would have seemed like it had a missing word in there. So they added the word thing. Because it wouldn't have sounded right to say, therefore also that holy which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So it seems like there's something missing. But I think when you start to understand a little bit of the background, the original text makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. God, through the power of the Holy Ghost, placed holiness in the form of Jesus in Mary's womb. Notice Gabriel refers to Jesus as the Holy One or just the Holy. He does not call Jesus a baby. He doesn't call Jesus a child. Doesn't call Jesus a fetus. Gabriel appropriately calls Jesus the holy. He embodies everything that's holy. Because Jesus is all that's holy. That holy that is placed in your womb, Mary. He's holy. Now I hope you know Jesus this morning. Because if you do, then you'll know why the New Testament, New Testament writers called Jesus the holy. You understand it. The Holy One. The Anointed One. Jehovah is salvation. Was, was placed in Mary's womb. Miraculously. The miraculous conception. Let's get back to Gabriel. He's going to say something. Kind of real important here. Luke chapter 1 verse 36. says, And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. Look at verse 37. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Do you believe that this morning? I believe it. I believe it. I believe in the virgin birth this morning because God is a part of it. God is in it. If God was out of it, I don't believe in a virgin birth. But I do believe in it because with God, nothing shall be impossible. A virgin birth, it's not impossible with God. A barren Elizabeth, not impossible with God. Your situation, not impossible with God. Your unsafe family, not impossible with God. A lost generation, not impossible with God. A dead church, not impossible with God. A virgin birth, it's not possible unless God's part of the equation. 
It doesn't happen in the natural realm. The Bible tries to explain that all the time. It's not going to happen in your power and your might. It can only happen with God when He's involved. When the Holy Spirit is allowed to work and do His work and do His miracles, your situation's possible. There's a chance. There's a chance when God's involved. To finish up for today, I like to look at Mary's response to all this. I think her response is a home run. It's the way we ought to respond when God speaks something to us. So many times God speaks to us and we're like, maybe, I hope, I wish it were possible. I'm kind of far-fetched, isn't it, Lord? We, we have such a low view of the power of God. Such a low view but the Bible's here, it's screaming, hey, if God is in your situation, it can happen. There's a possibility of it. Look at verse 38 of chapter 1. And Mary said, behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. When's the last time you said that in your prayer closet to God? When you're praying over a dead situation, when you're praying over a lost loved one, when you're praying over a sickness, when you're praying over a career direction, a job, a financial situation, when you're praying over someone that needs saved, when have you ever said that? Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. In other words, Mary said, she, she, she listened to all this stuff, and this must have been some fantastic stuff. I mean, imagine Mary, this God-fearing young lady, does not know a man. And this angel Gabriel appears and says, the, the power of the highest is going to overshadow thee. And you're going to be pregnant with a child. You're going to bring Messiah into this world. She doesn't say, oh man. There's no doubt at all. She just says, be it according unto thy word. Do you know that's the type of people God is looking for? Believers that, that, that read their Bible and they look at a similar situation in their life and they say, it happened to them, it can happen to me. Be it according unto your word. Be it according to as you have it written. Do you know that if there's a promise in the Bible, that if it's written in there, it's like a contract between you and God. And it's signed in the blood of Jesus. It is going to happen. You just got to believe. You just got to have faith in it. And you got to make sure that God is a part of the equation. He's got to be a part. Because if he's not, it's not going to happen in the natural realm. There's no supernatural power intrinsic to me or to you. Me because I'm a pastor. Me because I read my Bible a lot. There's nothing to do with me. Has everything to do with the one, the Holy One, Messiah, Jesus, Jesus. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Brothers and sisters, that's the beginnings of the real Christmas story. That's the real story. That's where it really started. 
I hope you can appreciate that this morning. I hope you can start to understand the amazing, true story of Christmas as it begins with the miraculous conception. Let's stand to our feet this morning. So important. So important to, to know this stuff and to embrace it. Own it. Don't be afraid to believe in things that the world doesn't. I, I, wanna, I believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. I, I'm not going to try to explain it away naturalistically. Or maybe this is what happened or this is what happened. I'm going to say this. The power of God overshadowed Mary and placed Jesus in Mary's womb. And she later gave birth to Messiah. And, and the Messiah that she gave birth to is the one in which we are saved by. He shall save his people from their sins. We'll close with this. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of centuries. We have proof of this by the way. This was written hundreds of centuries before Jesus ever came onto this planet in physical form. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And remember what that word Emmanuel means? God is with us. With us, God. With us is God. Now we have God with us. I have God with me. He is in my heart. I believe in Him. He's inside of me. He's inside of you if you've confessed on Him and you believe on Him. God is with us now. That's what Christmas is, brothers and sisters. That's what Christmas is. We'll close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this miraculous Christmas story. Lord, I'm so glad and happy that I can be part of a church that preaches and teaches, that makes known the real origins of Christmas, Father God. Lord, all that other stuff's okay. The Hallmark movie's okay. Christmas tree's okay. Presents okay, Father God. All that stuff's all right. Perfectly harmless, Father God. But Lord, in this church, we want to know and we want to propagate the real, true origins of the Christmas story. And that is the virgin birth. The precious scriptures that we read in Luke chapter 1 this morning. We thank you for the virgin birth of our Lord and Savior, Messiah, Jesus Christ. The anointed one, Jehovah, is salvation. Father God, thank you. We love you this morning. In Jesus' wonderful and precious name, amen. You may be